So, uh, I've ended up kind of shortening the sermon to talk about an issue that you've likely heard about this week, and I just want to teach kind of the biblical response uh, to this thing. You've, you've likely heard that uh, last weekend a video was released of 21 uh, Coptic Christians uh, from Egypt were beheaded by ISIS. Um, and yeah, so this is definitely like something that we respond to as it's a tragedy. We sympathize with uh, the families and the villages that were affected by this. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously a, a tragedy. But it is, it is also something that we are called to as Christians, this, this sort of suffering. Persecution is something that Jesus said would happen. Um, let's see. I, I don't know if uh, you could, yeah, shut off some of the channels for the, the sound equipment, maybe. A little bit of feedback today. But uh, promised that we would suffer, right? He said that uh, he, right, if, if he was going to be, you know, killed and persecuted because of who he was and, and what he said, uh, that we likewise, as, you know, disciples of him, would, would experience similar things. Uh, but the point is that, that we're called to this sort of persecution, that we represent Jesus to the world when we endure such things, and that we shouldn't necessarily pray to, to avoid them, right? We shouldn't necessarily be pursuing a comfortable and safe life, that we want to make sure that we're honoring God in, in everything that we do. And in fact, when, when Jesus prayed for his disciples the night before he died, in John 17, I think I've got this up on the screen, this is what he prayed to the Father. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So, so we as believers, we're on mission in this earth. We've been sent here for a reason, and it's not just like I said, so we could have a comfortable life with a white picket fence, right? That's not the goal that, that Jesus has us here for. And he didn't pray that we would be removed from this world and removed from darkness and removed from the suffering that we experience. He, he has us here for a reason to endure and, and to be a light. So that's what even, even myself, I don't necessarily desire a long life. I desire a life in which I complete the mission that God has called me to, right? And that's what we need to desire. And, and one of the things that, that perhaps is abstract is that we can rejoice that these 21 brothers of ours endured to the end, right? That they, they declared their faith in Jesus in their dying breath, right? That they did not deny their faith in order to avoid this difficulty, right? And because they didn't deny Jesus on this earth, Jesus says that he will not deny them before the Father, right? So, so we can rejoice that they, they ran the race that was set before him and they endured to the end, and an interesting thing that we see uh, throughout church history and even recorded biblically is that persecution is something that spurs the church on to fulfilling its mission. Early in the book of Acts, we see that, that Jesus tells his church to be a, a, a witness to the world, right? To preach the gospel to all nations, and yet for some reason they end up lingering in Jerusalem for some time period. And it's not until there's persecution that they end up being spread out because of that persecution. And that the mission actually starts getting really, truly accomplished. 
right? It, it happened at the death of Stephen, one of the early church leaders who forgave those who were killing him in the process. That, that it, it was at that moment, that martyrdom, right? It was at this, the beginning of that persecution that the, the church ends up spreading out and truly bringing the, the message of Jesus to the rest of the world, right? So persecution we see is something that, that mobilizes the church, and in fact, uh, Tertullian, a Christian writer from the second century, he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So it's in moments and seasons like this that the church is, is on display. Our faith is, is evident to all. That in the contrast to the violence, we can show love. Right? In the contrast to the hatred, we can demonstrate forgiveness. Right? So it's, it's moments like this that the church demonstrates who God really is. And I want to point out, because it's easy to be confused, especially maybe if you haven't you know, read a lot of what Jesus preaches, but people are not our enemy. All right? There's not a particular people group that we're opposed to. There's not a particular person or identity or religion that we're necessarily like against and, and warring with. Okay, that, that the enemy that we have, which we do have one, the Bible calls Satan, right? He's the adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren. And if, if you're interested in reading about the spiritual warfare, this nature that, that we're supposed to engage in, uh, check out Ephesians chapter 6, right? Or 2 Corinthians, it talks about that. I've got that on your bonus content, that, that we are engaged in a battle, but we don't battle with physical weapons, right? We battle through prayer, Right? It's, it's a spiritual war that we are engaged in. But don't ever think of you know, a particular person or people group as being our enemy. Because the Apostle Paul, he at one time was killing Christians. He at one time persecuted the church. And Jesus was able to turn his heart around and make, make him a vessel of honor for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right? So that's why we can pray not just for the families of those who were affected, which we should, because they do experience grief, but we should also pray for the very people who committed that act, right? Or, or the, the group that's behind that act, right? Because God can change their hearts, and God is changing hearts in the Middle East, right? God is doing a work in the Muslim world, which is awesome, right? Jesus has actually been visiting uh, Muslims in their dreams, and they're converting to Christianity, Right, that people are spreading the gospel. I just heard a testimony this last week of, of this guy where someone was brave enough, this was in West Africa, to, to preach the gospel to him and his family, and they could have killed this person for sharing Jesus with them. And when he ends up converting himself, his, his father actually goes out to the point of buying the knife with which he was going to kill his own son for converting to Christianity from Islam. Right, and ends up, it, it turns out that he doesn't, but that years later, his, his, ver- his own father ends up becoming a Christian as well. Right, so this is, this is what I'm pointing out, is that, that we should pray for these very people who are committing these acts. Right, so don't let a hatred form in your heart, right, although there is this desire for justice that we have, okay, because God is a, a just God, but, but we need to pray for all involved, And in in Hebrews 13, uh, the Bible says to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So 
It's talking about that those who are persecuted, those who are imprisoned for the sake of preaching Jesus, those who are mistreated and suffer for the sake of the gospel, that we should remember them. Because we're, we're in the body, right? We are not just a local church here, but we're part of God's full church, his full people across the globe. So we need to lift up these, these people because they are our brothers and sisters, even though we don't get to see them here on a Sunday morning. We will spend eternity with them, right? So, so I just wanted to take a moment to, to pray together as a church family uh, for, for what's been going on in this persecution that's been happening. So uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that um, this sort of thing does not catch you off guard. Uh, that God, that you are amazing in your pursuit of us in our sin condition, that you pursue us as humans and seek after us even when we were your enemies. And God, I ask that, Lord, you would just be glorified in this situation, that the church would truly be a light to this world, that, God, we would be loving and forgiving and compassionate, God. I desire that you would bring comfort to those families who are affected by this. And, God, we pray that your mercy and grace would just intercede in the hearts of the people who commit such acts. God, we don't, we don't want to see people go to hell. And we know that, that you are willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, we, we desire that as well. And I ask God that you would put a spirit of intercession on our hearts, that Lord, we as the church, that we would repent of our sin And that, God, we would get serious about the mission that you've called us to. And that, Lord, we would be willing to pray for the lost. That, God, the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about being people, that you would give us the same heart. That, Lord, you would make us passionate in those same areas. That we would would risk it all for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you for, for your will, your sovereign will being done that, like I said, this didn't catch you off guard, but God, that this glorifies you. And Lord, I pray that even though we might not die for our faith, I ask that you would empower us to live for our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, all right, heavy stuff. All right, here we go. So, uh... We've been going through a series called Celebrate Recovery, and we've been talking about our need to overcome our hurts, you know, our habits, whatever sin issues we have, and and whatever hang-ups we have, right? Whether it's, you know, some sort of uh, preconceived notion we have about the world, or maybe the way we've been raised, we we think certain ways about things, and, and that God wants to heal us of those areas. And, and we've diagnosed the, the main problem, the main cause of all of this is sin nature, right? And, and we obviously take responsibility for most of that ourselves, that, you know, our, our habits and our hangups, that's on us. But it's also sin nature that's at work in other people that, that have caused the hurt in our past, right? It, it's sin that is the issue. But obviously we, we recognize that we can only you know, control us. We can't control the world around us. But I want to point out that that sin affects us a lot, 
right? Sometimes I, I think that we have this perception that, well, you know, eh, sin's not that big of a deal, uh, you know, like, or that's just like one area of my life. It, it's not really affecting anything else. It's not, uh, you know, messing up my life in any other way. Uh, but sin is not compartmentalized. There's not a way that I can just contain and quarantine it to one area of my life and not have it affect the rest. All right, sin is something that, that has real consequences in our life, real consequences in our relationships, right? Sin in a, in a parent can affect the next generation. It can affect their children, right? So, so sin is, is a serious thing, but I want to point out that sin also affects our relationship with God. Right? And oftentimes we just think like, yeah, but God's just like, you know, forgives me of my sin and I'm good and he's good and, and we're all set. And that's, that's true. His mercy is new every morning, right? That God has grace for us when, when we fail and that's awesome. But, but our sin does more in that relationship than perhaps we just think. Uh, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Right? It actually grieves the heart of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers, and our sin breaks God's heart. Right? It also causes us to be ineffective in our purpose. Right? It distracts us from the, the true reason that God has us here. Right? We, we get just off-road with what God has called us to do, and sin holds us back from that. It slows us down. Right? In Hebrews, the Bible says that we need to, to let go and set aside, lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us so that we could run the race. Right? So the sin slows us down. It makes us ineffective. But this is an interesting thing that I want to point out today is that sin promotes or maintains spiritual ignorance in us. Right? Sometimes we think like, you know, like I said, we, it just... It's compartmentalized, but it's not going to affect my, my walk with God or my ability to, to pursue the things he's called me to. But sin will actually limit your understanding of God. And that's something that like, I was wrapping my mind around this week, right? 1 Corinthians 3, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, and it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still, in, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So the Apostle Paul, he desires to, to teach this church and to encourage this church. And he's like, listen, like... I still have to feed you the milk rather than the meat of what this spiritual truth is. And right, if, if you're a new believer, you aren't expected to be there yet. All right, God has grace for us, right? God knows that we grow. But, but the point is that this church was a church that was supposed to be mature, that he was supposed to be able to teach these more kind of advanced concepts to, and they weren't ready for it. And one of the reasons they weren't ready for it was was their relationships, right? The, the New Living Translation says it this way, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready, right? For you were controlled by your sinful nature, right? So, so their sinful nature limited their ability 
to understand God or to understand spiritual things, right? They, they were stuck at, at a lower level of understanding than what God wanted them to have, right? So, so that's one of the things that I want to point out is that, that it's unusual that even as a Christian, our sin, as long as we still dwell in our sin nature or are controlled by it, it, li- it limits our spiritual intellect, and we're, we're bound in a way that it limits our growth and our knowledge of God. And Paul corrects this church, and he's, he says that part of the issue is their relationship with others, how they handled that, right? He talked about that they, they had jealousy in them, right? That, that they were striving. They were always trying to compete and outdo one another. And I'm pointing out that the way we handle our earthly relationships will affect our God relationship. It'll affect our, our vertical relationship, right? And, and, and he, he accuses them. He says, you're, you're acting in a human way, right? The way you act is, is in a way as if you didn't know anything about God or about eternity or salvation, right? That's what he's, he's correcting this church about. And he says, essentially, when, when you mistreat others or when you mishandle a relationship, you can't just say like, well, well, I'm seeking God, I'm doing great, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do, right? You can't say that because it, the way you handle your earthly relationships affects your relationship with God, right? As long as there's a rift that you are partially responsible for mending in a relationship, you can't just be like, well, me and God are good and that's all that matters. Like, no, like God wants us to, to handle those situations well. And in fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, listen, if you, if you were to come and leave a gift or, or you were bringing a gift to God and brought it to the altar, we don't have an altar here or anything, but, but right, if you were bringing a gift to offer to God and you remembered that your brother was offended with you, he said, leave the gift and go reconcile with your brother and then come back and offer that gift, right? So the idea is that God values us managing and maintaining our relationships more than our service done to him, right? In terms of his priority, right? He, he would say, listen, it's more important for you to skip church on Sunday so that you could go and visit the person that is mad at you, right? And have breakfast with them and, and resolve that issue, right? He's saying that that's more important. And that brings us to, to principle number six from Celebrate Recovery, which I've got up on the screen. It says, evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible, except when to do so would bring harm to them or, or others. I want to point out that, that we worship a, a God of forgiveness, right? That one of the characteristics of God that, that he is most known for is his mercy, Right, his grace for us, this undeserved, unmerited favor that he bestows on us. But if you think about us as, as the people of God, and, and God having this quality of, of massive forgiveness, and compare that to uh, pagan religions, right? Like when people would, would serve a false god or an idol, they would, they would have an idol for, you know, the god of, of sex or war or prosperity or whatever it was. And, and the people would themselves be passionate about the thing that their, their god was known for, 
right? And, and likewise, we as Christians, we should be passionate about the things that God is known for, right? That he is such a God of forgiveness and mercy that we as his people should be known for those same traits, right? That that's one of the things that, that we should do. And, and the Bible says this, I didn't bother putting this one up on the screen so you can just listen. Second Corinthians five, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled the world to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting the sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? So, so what this passage is saying is that we represent God to this world. Right? That, that, that God, having reconciled us to him, having restored our relationship when we broke it because of our sin, right? that God now shares that ministry, that we are people of reconciliation, that we are representing him, that we are, use the word, ambassadors, of this ministry, right? We represent God to this world and that we are to be a people that shares the reconciliation of God with others, right? Like, listen, like you can have your heart right before God. Like you want to share that and compel people, right? God is not counting your sins against you. That's really good news, right? And he wants to have a relationship with you. But yet in our representation of God in this way, if, if our relationships are lacking reconciliation, Right? If we have a part to play in mending relationships where we failed, we're not representing him well in this area. Right? That, that we are ambassadors for him specifically in this area of mending relationships. And the way that we handle our earthly relationships should, should represent him well. Because right? we are his ambassadors. So, so when it comes to forgiving a person... When it comes to forgiving a hurt in our past, uh, when someone has wronged us and it's, it's absolutely clear, well, first of all, I'm going to let you know that the Bible teaches that we have to forgive. All right, so that's, that's a big hurdle to get over. But, but one of the things that, that slows us down in processing that is that we have a, a sense of justice, right? That, that vengeance must, uh, must occur, that, that justice must be served. Right, that this person wronged me and they deserve to be treated this way. They deserve, you know, whatever's coming to them. And, and I want to point out that, that God also has a sense of justice, right? He is a just and righteous and holy God. And, and his justice is perfect in every way, right? It's not, you know, he doesn't misremember the situation where like, you know, you might with a relation, like, no, 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 you said that first and then I said, no. like, no, he doesn't misremember anything. His justice is perfect. And, and so it's, it's a God quality that he places in the hearts of mankind when we have a sense of right and wrong, when we see evil done in the world and we're like, there needs to be something done about this, right? That's a God quality that he's placed inside of our hearts. But, 
But like I said earlier, God is, is also a God of love and mercy. And in that, that need for justice, all right, just like in uh, between Cain and Abel, right, the second generation on the earth, one brother kills the other. And God said that the Abel's blood was crying out from the land, right, that there was a need for justice to occur, right? And, and, and that will happen. Justice will happen. All right, sometimes justice does occur on this earth, at least in a partial sense, where someone does experience consequences for their actions. But other times we see people that it looks like they just keep getting away with everything. But we shouldn't be discouraged in that. Because God's ultimate perfect justice, the day of judgment, has not yet happened. Right? So, so there will be this, this day of judgment that does come. And so the people that we feel uh, deserve justice done against them, I'd want to point out that, one, they may experience partial justice on this earth. And two, if they're not a believer, they will experience justice brought upon them eternally. And if they are a believer or someday become one, that Jesus took their place. And absorbed the wrath of God for all that they've ever done wrong for them, just like he did for us. Right? So justice is served either on the cross or on them for all of eternity. So we don't need to have that be our ultimate sense of like, this needs to happen. We can lay that aside and trust God because he's the one that says, vengeance is mine. Right? It's not something that he wants us to handle. Right? That's something that, that we can trust him with and he will perfectly handle it when the time is right. But, but Jesus doesn't call us to seek this justice for ourselves at least. Right? It is a valid and valuable thing to pursue justice for those who are underrepresented. Right? The Bible often talks about you know, seeking justice for the widow or the orphan. Right? That's something that we should pursue. Those who are underrepresented, we want to to raise their level of justice. But for ourselves, Jesus says that we should pursue love. It says this in Luke chapter 6. It says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Right? So that's the standard. That's what Jesus calls us to. Right? He, he calls us to love our enemies. Even though the kindness that we might show them may never be reciprocated, it might not ever produce change in them where they feel different about the way they've wronged you. It might not do those things, but we're called to do it nonetheless. We are to do good to them. We should serve them in a way as, as though we're serving the Lord, right? That's what, that's what we should do. And he says, don't expect anything in return. Like I said, realize that they might not ever change, even though you're compassionate and kind and merciful towards them. They might, it might not produce change in their hearts. They might stay hard in that area. But he says that we will be children of the Most High, right? Just like uh, the way genetics and heredity work, 
that the traits of the parents are passed on to the children. We're children of the Most High when we are able to love our enemies. That we, we inherit the traits of our Heavenly Father. We become more and more like Him. And that's what He wants us to be. He wants us to be merciful just as, as He is merciful. Right? And so we do this in obedience to God. It's not even necessarily about the other person that offended you. Right? It's about like, okay, am I, am I going to keep my heart right with God? Am I going to obey Him in fulfilling this command? And that's why he then tells us to forgive. And here in this passage, like elsewhere in the Bible, we see that our being forgiven by God is hinged upon our forgiving those who offend us. Right? He actually says that that God can't forgive you if you don't forgive. Right? And and if you're interested in, in really pursuing and hashing that thought out, Uh, there's a bunch of passages that I've got on your sheets that you can check out. There's also a sermon that I preached back in July online that really digs into that idea. But but when you forgive someone, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll end up being friends with that person. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, it doesn't mean that you're acknowledging that they were right. Forgiveness may still mean that they were completely wrong in the way they, they treated you or handled the situation. Uh, forgiveness may still require uh, legal action to occur. All right, that, that God, in his management of justice, has decreed that governing authorities uh, have the authority to execute judgment. Right? That's, that's something that God has delegated to them. So there may be times when legal action still has to occur, even though you fully forgive the person. So it wouldn't be wrong to necessarily pursue uh, legal action in those cases. But forgiveness just means that you release them in your heart. That you are the one that is actually most free as the result of that forgiveness happening. And, and someone ended up from our church sharing this week that, that when they had uh, forgiven someone that had hurt them in their past, that forgiveness didn't truly start having an effect in them until they started praying for that person. And that's one of the things that Jesus taught us to do was to pray for those who persecute us, right? Like the very people who caused us harm, we can, we can pray for them. And sometimes it's by adding words to what we want to feel, our feelings then end up following those words eventually, right? So forgiveness is when you will actually end up truly experiencing the healing in your life for the hurt you have in your past. And that's... That's a hurdle that you have to take in that healing process. And that's, I know it's tough, and, but that's the only way that, that it happens. It, it brings healing to us, and that's hopefully something that you're, you're pursuing. One of the other things I'd like to point out is that uh, we need to be able to forgive ourselves. All right, uh, some people have so much remorse and regret and guilt and shame piled on themselves that it's, it's, it's wrong. It's unhealthy. And that in itself is, is a burden that God wants to free you from. And, and in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes his second letter to this church in Corinth. And he's somewhat reluctant, not quite, but about some of the words he used in an earlier letter uh, because they were heavy. They were challenging. They were correcting words. And this is what he says, reflecting on that. He says, now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain 
caused you uh, to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, which lacks a change of heart or mind, right, results in spiritual death. So I want to point out that, that godly sorrow, remorse for some wrong that you've done, is a, is a good thing. The Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the things in your life that you need to change or the, the wrong attitudes that you have, right? It's, it's a good thing that happens. And that kind of sorrow is, is purposeful. It promotes a desire within us to actually change. It develops this, this recognition that sin is something that, that I need to hate in my life. Right? It's, a, it's a good thing that it does in us. And it's okay to have uh, you know, some degree of regret about our past, about decisions that we've made. But God does not want us to linger on those choices and just to dwell on them in such a way that we are condemned by our past. Right? Because in, in Romans chapter 8, it says that uh, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? We are fully forgiven. So it's important for us to know that we are not condemned. If that godly sorrow has produced the desired outcome of repentance, then you're forgiven, right? You're completely forgiven. And we don't need to dwell on the past. We don't have to dwell on our failures and just rehash them over and over once we've experienced God's forgiveness. So when, when you choose to forgive yourself of past failures, it is as though you were acknowledging God's authority on the issue, right? When he declares you forgiven and you forgive yourself, you're like, okay, like I agree with God. But if you refuse to forgive yourself, it's as though you think that you are somehow like the supreme judge over God, right? I know God in his court declared me forgiven, but that's not good enough. That's not to my standard, right? I've got a higher standard than that. I've, I've got a higher authority and I just can't forgive myself. And that's wrong. That, that's, that's wrong. That's something that you have to eventually become free from. And just like the vision that God gave Peter in Acts uh, regarding preaching to those who were non-Jews, this is what God said to him. He says, do not call unclean that which I have called clean. So if God has declared you the righteousness of God in Christ, don't dare disagree with him. <laughs> right? Don't you dare disagree with God. Right? If he has called you clean, don't say anything to the contrary. And I know that that's something that you can struggle with still. And the way you can process that is, is meditate on the truth of God's word. Right? Find some passages in the Bible that talk about God's love and his mercy and his grace and his, his forgiveness towards you, that he, he's made you holy in his eyes. And just, you might even need to memorize those things, right? Until you can start actually thinking the way God thinks about you, right? That, that, that might be what you need to do. And lastly, I want to point out that, that hopefully we all realize that we need forgiveness uh, and not just in terms of our relationship with God, but that we will fail other people, 
And hopefully we're able to acknowledge that. Hopefully we're able to humble ourselves and admit when we're wrong. Uh, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and, and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to meet God's standard. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So guys, we're all guilty, right? If, if you're living your life where your family somehow has to just like imagine that you're perfect because you won't tolerate anything different, like that's, that's not right. Like you need to admit to them when you fail. You need to repent, right? You need to, when you've wronged someone, you need to make that right. It's what we need, we need to do. And even in marriage, all right, I'd love to just preach the ideal that somehow like, you know, two people get married and then somehow they're like perfect people now. Like, no, you are going to fail regularly in your marriage. And the key is not somehow being perfect. It's in being regularly repentant when you fail the other person, right? Like keeping a short list, like, man, all right, here's the things that I messed up today. Like, I'm sorry, forgive me. Like, how can I make it better? Right? Like, don't just like, you know, keep stacking on and then, you know, wait for like some argument or something and, you know, wait for, wait to get caught or whatever it is. Just be honest and, and repent. And hopefully they themselves will recognize that they too have sin that they need forgiveness from, right? None of us are, are perfect. And so we need to repent not only to God, but to other people. We need to apologize and make amends to those who we offend. And on a side note, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is that some people will be offended with you merely because you're a Christian, right? Some people will be offended with you, not because of you, but because of the Jesus you represent, because the gospel is offensive, all right? And in those situations, we don't need to apologize, right? Hopefully we can be gracious in the way we present the truth. Hopefully we can be compassionate and loving in the way that we share it, but but we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't repent in those situations unless in some way, maybe like a little bit of me got in the way when I was telling them about Jesus, right? Like, because that can happen, right? Some people can get a little bit of themselves in the way and that in those situations you can repent. But, but the point is when you are wrong, admit it, right? Be humble before others and ask for their forgiveness. And even though as, as believers, we don't believe in, in some form of, of penance, all right, we don't believe that uh, you have to somehow pay off the wrong that you've done uh, because forgiveness is free, right? Jesus is the one that paid the price fully for us. There may be times where it's appropriate to make some form of restitution, right? If you can bring some degree of right to the wrong that you did against someone, that'd be appropriate, all right? That'd be a good thing. And in fact, we see this and an example uh, of this man, Zacchaeus, when he encounters Jesus, and I'll just tell you the story that Zacchaeus was this tax collector, and he was a short little dude, uh, I imagine like a Danny DeVito sort of guy, and he was like manipulative because he's a tax collector, he takes advantage of people, and he hears that Jesus is coming to his town, Jericho, right? And, and Jesus is coming and he's like so short, like he can't like see over the crowds to see Jesus. So he like runs on ahead and he climbs up a sycamore tree. And then when Jesus comes that way, he's like, Hey, Zacchaeus, get down here quick. I'm eating at your house tonight. And he's like all excited. Right. And the crowds end up being upset. Cause they're like, 
he's going to go eat dinner with this sinner. Like, what's Jesus doing, right? And what Zacchaeus does in, in his response, he says, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Right? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Right? So Jesus, he encounters Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he is just blown away by the generosity of his mercy. And he does, he does a couple things. One, he says, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. Right? Not that our generosity as believers can somehow match the generosity God had towards us, but that was, that was the first thing he did. And then the second thing he did was restitution, right? where he said, listen, if I've defrauded anyone, because he knew he had, as a tax collector, right? he's like, no, 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 you owe 20%, not 15%, and he's keeping the extra. Right? If he's defrauded anyone, he says, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. So that sort of restitution is appropriate. Right, that we as, as believers should do what's right. right? We, should, we should try to make right the wrong that we've done in different relationships. And it's not always necessarily possible. All right? it, it's not, not possible in every situation, but, but we can still do what's right. But in terms of relationships, Romans 12 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right? So we're not going to somehow have peace with everybody. But as much as it depends on us, we're able to, to have peace. We're, we should do our best to be peacemakers, is the way Jesus put it. So the part that depends on you, right? the part that you're responsible for, you should do what you can to make it right in whatever relationships you have. And repentance right, or apologizing takes one person Forgiving a person takes only one person, but reconciliation, where the two can once again be in agreement and walk together as friends, that, that takes two people. And that's not always going to happen. But as much as it depends on us, we should, we should do what's right. And uh, I'm going to close out with, with this video here. Don't click on it yet, but uh, you can turn on the aux input. Um, this is a video of... Uh, Culturally, it's going to be a little bit different. It's all in Arabic. Um, but it's a, a Christian worship radio program uh, from this, this week in the Middle East. And one of the brothers of the 21 guys, actually he was a brother of two of the guys that were beheaded and martyred, calls into the radio program. And uh, I think it's interesting to see. So the worship team can come on up. Um, and I just want to, you know, let his words kind of be an example of, of the mercy and grace that we should have. So we can watch this and then we'll go right into worship, all right? <laughs> 